0: Well, we're now going to go over to, uh, to Wouter, who is going to um, preach the second and final installment in our mini-series uh, on We Need to Talk About Race. I'm really excited to hear what Wouter has to say. I know that this is something that he has been wrestling with for the last few weeks and really wanting to, um, to, to make sure that we're being humble as a church, knowing which areas we really do need to grow in and, and being open to areas that we need to work in. And so I, I do I love that humility about Wouter that, uh, that he brings as he wrestles through with these things. So it's such a privilege to be able to have him teaching on this. Let's pray for receptive hearts. Let's pray that God would speak through his word into our hearts. And let's pray that as a church, we would grow in this area of learning to love everyone and to love especially those who have been on the receiving end of um, of things that many of us would not be able to imagine being on the receiving end of. So let's pray for Valter. As he preaches and let's listen to the word of god together
1: good morning friends we continue our series we need to talk about race sam launched it last week and looked at the reality of racism and today we're going to be looking at the redemption of race i don't know about you but over the last few weeks and months i have been on an incredibly humbling journey when the news from george floyd's killing came out of america i was indignant about the injustice that had happened and yet, when I started to listen to the stories that have surfaced in the media since then, and listening to many members at Life Church, I started to realize how little I understand about racism and the reality of racism still today. One of our straplines as a church is that we want to be a multicultural church. And I started to realize over these last few weeks that although this has been an aspiration, I think we have underestimated the amount of work and commitment it takes to really see this happen. Over the last uh, few weeks, we sought started to listen to members at Life Church, and we've sought in this two-week series to draw out their stories to hear about the experience of racism. Last week, Sam introduced Serena and Christabel talked about their stories. And this week we're gonna be listening to the stories of Emmanuel and Grace. And these stories are painful to hear. We've asked them to talk about their personal experience of racism, but also their views on how this continues even into the church. And that is a little painful to hear, but important. And we must take time to listen. So let's go over to Emmanuel for his experience.
2: Good morning, church my name is Emmanuel. I would like to contribute to the issue of racism that has been going on around the western world for the past few weeks what is the reality of racism for me well I can tell you that it is real. I've looked at myself in a mirror lately and I could say that I have eyes, I have ears, I have a nose, I have a mouth, I have my two hands, two legs, all the features that you can find in everyone else I consume the same air that keeps me alive just like everyone else so why am I being judged by the colour of my skin? on numerous occasions I've gone to this shop to buy something and I have noticed that I was being followed as I moved from one hour to the other because I've been thought to be a thief because I'm a black male, I'm more likely not to be called for an interview when I apply with my name unless I change it to a white sounding name. I'm more likely not to become a head teacher if I choose to choose that profession, if I choose to go through teaching because there are about 95% white male that are head teachers. Where do I start from? I've been harassed by the police because they got information that a male black person stole something How does it feel to be a black male in a majority white church? It would have been a great thing that is the ideal church However, I think that the church has also failed in this area It's not because they are doing it on purpose but they have decided to look away just like the priest and the levite in the story that jesus told about the good samaritan they fail to understand my struggle my family and i have been in this church for about six years now at no occasion over those years have i seen a black person preach in this church so also I know and I hear that that's some weights around the churches that are dominated by white so it's the same system you find in the corporate world where a black male is unlikely to be at the top of management does the church recognize that I don't understand I've known that some some other families that have joined Life Church black families have left and their reason being that they didn't they didn't feel at home. They felt they were nobody cares for them. I hope that the church can begin to look take active and conscious action to reach out to black people and not just wait to get this kind of reaction from the society before the church acts. The church is supposed to be a home for everybody. But unfortunately, people are feel, feeling left out. Is that unfortunate?
1: Wow, I don't know about you, but I feel deeply challenged listening to that. We must hear this. Sam last week looked at the reality of racism, how perhaps some obvious weeds have been pulled out, some laws changed, some outward behavior condemned. The root of racism still continues in many hidden forms in our society. Now, when we want to deal with this issue, we really need to look at the heart. And at the heart of racism lies the sin of superiority, looking down on others. And yet it's a very hidden sin, something that we often don't realize we're doing. We just think if other people were like us and they got themselves sorted, the world would be a better place. But really, that is rooted in superiority. Now, ironically, the only one who was truly superior was Jesus. He was born with divine DNA and he was born into a world. He was the only one who was perfect. He had the power of heaven pumping through his veins and yet his behavior was very different from those that the world would look at as superior. In his time, The Jewish leaders would consider themselves superior above everyone else. They held the law like no one else. They were from the true chosen race of God. And many of them believed because they were male, they were superior. And um, we can see that sex and um, religion and ethnicity were very much at the root of their sense of superiority. Yet Jesus behaved totally different. He crossed all these barriers, the barriers of sex, barriers, of ethnicity, the barriers of religion. He crossed all these barriers to meet the people where they were to love them. And we can see that Jesus had a total different attitude to people now what happened in one of these occasions was that one of the religious leaders who felt themselves superior came to find jesus to test him and he said what must i do to have eternal life and jesus replied to him we can read in luke 10 it says love the lord your god with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself now to demonstrate this leader's superiority. He said, well, who's my my neighbor Uh, in order to be able to boast his behavior? And then Jesus told him a story that actually stung deep. This is in Luke 10, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by On the other side, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where he where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any expenses that you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Whew. That was a daring story that Jesus told. You see, the Jews hated Samaritans. They looked down on them. What happened was that the Jews had been taken into exile out of Israel. And during that time, the Samaritans who were then still part of the kind of Jewish nation stayed in the country, but they started to intermarry with other nations around. And God had clearly told them not to do that. What happened was they became a mixed race. And when they came back, the Jews said, well, we are the true Jews who inherit the promised land. And these people have defiled themselves. So they will take a detour." Or if they were traveling to try and avoid these people because they considered them sub-Jewish and they looked down on them. Now, when Jesus tells this story, you can imagine the surprise of the religious leader when the Samaritan becomes the hero and the religious leaders become the one who fail. And when we look at that, we can see that the issue is very similar to the current issue we face around racism. We can see that when they see a man who's hurting, they come around and they look and they just pass on, they move on. And in many ways, this has been our problem as a society. We have seen the hidden sin of racism all around us, but we have not understood and we have passed on, we've looked away, we've passed on, we haven't taken a stand about these things. So part of this season, I think one of the key things that we must do is to look and to listen and to take time to understand what is happening all around us in order for us to change something. And with those words, I'm going to turn to Grace Coe, who's going to tell us a bit about her experience.
3: My relationship with race is slightly complicated. I'm mixed race. Um, My dad is from India. My mum is white British. And I actually don't think the mixed race experience really gets talked about very often. Um, For me, honestly, it's been quite confusing. Um, So for one thing... Like if you're mixed race, your parents will never fully understand your situation um, unless they're also mixed race. Um, But for me, it meant that from day one, I was sort of having to navigate this unique unique situation um, by myself with no one to kind of really guide me in that. Um, I also grew up in very, very much immersed in white culture. Um, let's say the churches we went to were majority white, same with schools. Um, I also grew up with very little Indian culture, um, which meant that there actually was family members that I wasn't able to speak to in the same language, um, including my Indian grandparents, um, and the food and the clothes, um, and just everything about it was totally alien to me, um. Essentially, I was brought up too white to kind of fully engage or be accepted in Indian culture. Um, And at the same time, because my skin is darker, uh, I'm noticeably different from my white counterparts, um, I can never truly fit in within white society or always be noticeably different that puts me in kind of a difficult position um sort of like no man's land neither here nor there Um, and i do still feel this way but it's especially confusing as a child um with no way of articulating this um and no older figures who could kind of understand what i was going through something i've recognized in myself more recently is the concept of internalized racism um, which is when you take on racist ideas from society about your own ethnicity. Um, a small example of this is when I was nine years old. Um, I had a makeup set that we used to get out at sleepovers. Um, and one day after school, I got out the powder brush and I brushed pale powder all over my face, um, thinking it might make me look prettier. Um, obviously all that happened was that I looked ghostly and ill. (laughs) Um, But it just shows the impact that society's ideas about beauty had on me at such a young age. Um, And as I've grown older, I've really had to work to kind of disentangle um, any negative thoughts I've had about my Indian heritage um, from the racist narratives that society would have me believe um, I've had to learn to be proud of it and accept that I always have a foot in both camps and my experience is actually richer because of it with the black lives matter movement currently gaining momentum I realized afresh that even though black asian and minority ethnicities are often uh, lumped together um actually as distinct groups we experience racism them very differently, um, we're not one homogenous group. Um, so the stereotypes and the assumptions that are associated be- with being an Indian woman are very different for Black women and for East Asian women, and also for men in all of those categories. Um, and also recognizing my privilege as someone who doesn't look obviously like an ethnic minority, um, I have lighter skin. I have a white sounding name um so I have to recognize that um something I do get irritated by regularly is people meeting me for the first time and trying to work out what my ethnicity is without actually asking me outright um so they'll say things like uh where were you born uh or where are your parents from or do you speak any other languages questions that I don't think most white people would ask other white people, but I definitely get asked them a lot. Um, And it makes me feel like I'm like a puzzle that they're trying to solve, which is honestly quite dehumanizing. Um, So I was initially conflicted about doing this interview. Um, I was worried that I wasn't enough of an ethnic minority to speak on this topic, but I realized that I do have a unique story to tell and that I can combine my experience with my privilege um, to help educate others. So what I would say to anyone listening to this who is white, um, I just invite you to think um, if I, as a mixed race person, can confront my own privilege and commit to using it for good, just think how much more you can do with the greater privilege you possess.
1: Thank you so much, Grace, for sharing your story. It's so helpful to hear how you experience uh, the reality of racism as somebody from a mixed heritage background. Now, Peterborough, remains to be a very diverse city. We look around and there's different nationalities and different uh, languages all around, different skin tones. And yet, when we look a little deeper, we can see that most of these cultures operate like mono subcultures, side by side, rather than bridges being formed across many of those. And sadly, in the church, that remains to be true too. We can see in 1963, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. saying it is appalling that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning forms the most segregated hour in Christian society. And sadly, we have to admit that by and large is still true today. And last week, Sam already made a statement and apologized that as a leadership team, we have not got this right either. We could have spoken up more about the subject of racism. Uh, We could have been more intentional about raising up different multicultural leaders and inviting more multicultural voices and black voices into our pulpit. And we wanna make a commitment as of now to, to start changing this. Now, we know that actions speak louder than words, but we want to be publicly accountable and committed to this for all of you. Uh, In this coming year, we're gonna give ourselves to be more intentional to raise up multicultural leaders and invite them a seat at the table, to raise up multicultural staff members, to invite multicultural and black voices into our pulpit on Sunday, and to start to build bridges into our communities all across Peterborough to change this specific divide. And we wanna ask for your help. We wanna ask you to pray with us for opportunities and for wisdom on the on the journey ahead. But we also wanna challenge you. What is it that you can do to make a difference? How can you start being the bridge? Well, there are some helpful things and some unhelpful things that we can do. And I wanna explore a few of those. So first of all, some unhelpful things. If you say that you're colorblind Perhaps sounds like a noble thing, but really it's very unhelpful. Um, God did not create us all the same color. He loved us being different and therefore we are different and we want to accept that. Also, we need to understand that we are not all born with the same privileges and therefore uh, to say that we are colorblind does not help the people who come from a background where there are less opportunities. We must stand up, majority cultures must stand up for minority cultures to be treated differently. Also, unhelpfully, is revenge and frustration. I mean, it's understandable that after years of injustice and centuries of injustice, that there is anger. And I I understand anger. Anger is, is okay, I think anger can be expressed and, and it can be uh, vented in this season. It's important to take time to listen to that, but but revenge is not about reconciliation, it's, it's about getting your way and, and that's unhelpful. We need to learn to be like Jesus, laying down our lives to forgive one another, to make a difference. Uh, what are some helpful responses? Well, first of all, if you come from a white majority background, I wanna encourage you to take time to listen, to look just like we saw in the story of the Good Samaritan. He took time to look and he had compassion. It's time for us to look, to listen, to be present with people and to listen to people in order to start making a difference. For those who come from minority cultures or black cultures, I want to encourage you, speak up. It's important for your voice to be heard. It's important that you start to share what it's like to live in these cultures and with the hidden reality of racism so we can understand and we can change this together now jesus ultimately was the true good samaritan he came from heaven he was truly superior to everyone but he came and beat with people he he didn't just come to bring good news he he spent time being with people listening to them he had compassion for them to help them and ultimately we can see that he laid down his own life to embrace others he was despised for us he hung on the cross and as he hung on the cross he died for the sin of superiority but he also carried the pain for those who had suffered and i want to encourage you that the gospel is the true answer for all of us it's the answer for those who have been actively involved and, and guilty of the sin of racism and it's also the answer for those who've experienced the pain of racism the gospel brings conviction and it brings healing Now Billy Graham said at the the, the, at the foot of the cross the ground is level. When we stand before the cross, we realize how much we need Jesus, how much we need him to change us. And what we can see is that out of this cross, out of this place of surrender and embracing his sacrifice for us, true hope is born. We can read the end of the Bible in Revelation 7 verse 9, um, the wonderful picture of what the family of God is to be like. It says, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the we're crying out salvation belongs to our god you see when we get to heaven we get new bodies and we made perfect we still are diverse we still have different um, cultural backgrounds we still have a diverse skin tone uh, we still have diversity in the way that we worship god now That means that diversity is not an inconvenience. It's not a political obstacle or a reality to be ignored. It's an idea that is at the very heart of God and that he wants to unite his people who are so wonderfully diverse, it will bring glory to him. So on that note, I'll ask you to pray with me at the end of this service and ask God's grace upon us as we seek him for his help. Jesus, We want to come to you and we want to say sorry for not getting it right, for not having done as much as we should have done, for not tackling this in the way that we should have. We say, have mercy on us. And we pray, Lord, will you give us wisdom, Lord? Will you give us strength to go and make a difference, Lord? Will you help us to take time to listen to one another, to have compassion, Lord? And will you help us, Lord, to make a difference together? In Jesus' name, amen. I'll hand back over to you, Dan. Well, thank you, Vauta,
0: for sharing that. And um, thank you so much, Emmanuel, and Grace, for your vulnerability in, in speaking to us in, in that way. It's really helpful and sobering. We, we want to ask God to give us the wisdom to know how to, how to best be the one new man in Christ that, uh, that the Bible s- speaks of when it comes to being the church, what that looks like and how we can grow to being more and more like that. We're going to respond now in, in, in many ways. One of the best things to do to respond to, uh, to, to, respond to any sermon is to fix our gaze on Jesus because he's the foundation of any change that needs to happen. He's also the destination of any change. It starts and ends with the gospel. And let's fix our gaze on Jesus. Whatever background you are coming from, you may well be feeling the, the real personal pain of this particular issue or you, may actually, or you may actually be living um, with the, the privilege of being relatively unaware of it and not even recognizing the pain that some are going through. The, the answer for us all is the gospel of Jesus. <laughs> to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Father, as we conclude our time together, we want to recognize that the solution to the problem that we've been looking at and the difficulties that we've been highlighting Lord God. The solution is Jesus. The solution is the Prince of Peace. The solution is the one who reigns on the throne of David to uphold it with justice and righteousness. And so, Father, we want to ask you that you would help us to keep our gaze fixed on Jesus and to obey him and to love him and to demonstrate his love to others, to demonstrate his love to one another as brothers and sisters, Lord, that we would that, that you would be shown to be the prince of peace in our lives. You'd be the, the sh- shown to be the one who rules with righteousness and justice and that we would be a church that is hungry and thirsty for justice, that is hungry and thirsty for the Prince of Peace, to bring reconciliation where reconciliation is needed and to bring justice where justice is needed. We love Jesus, we love you, we love your church, we love what you're doing amongst us as a people, and we love the name of Jesus and who he is. And so Father, we thank you for this time together and we pray you would help us to know your presence with us as we
3: continue throughout our days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.